This is the Rotoscopers Podcast, Episode 16, Spirited Away. This ain't your typical Western story. Welcome to the Rotoscopers Podcast, a podcast for animation addicts. Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I'm your host, Chelsea Robson. With Morgan Stradling, the roughest, toughest cowgirl in the West. You forgot we're in tunis. <laughs> and Mason Smith, our galactic hero. <laughs> that comes so unexpectedly. I just never know. <laughs> Would you like that in a different key? <laughs> Can you play that one little tune uh, that Ham plays in Toy Story 3? Oh, no, I need to study it. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> As an aspiring harmonica player, I was like, oh, I identify with that. I identify. <laughs> stop, like- what does he say? Like, stop that musical pig. <laughs> I know. I love it because he reverts back to his uh, nicknames for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Because it was refreshing to get Buzz Lightyear back in his I really think I'm a space ranger mode, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it was, too. (laughs) Don't worry. Any doubt I had got pounded out at me at the Academy. We always make that joke when, because I'm at home for the summer, and when, when my mom wakes us up, she she's not very sweet about it sometimes. So basically she's like, wake up, roll calls in five minutes. Anyone who misses roll call spends the night in the box. <laughs> I have she does, but... You have a cool mom. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, she's cool. Mason, you and I should do a little duet. I'll pull out my guitar. You can pull out the harmonica. Hello. <laughs> I can pull out my fiddles. <laughs> the rotor- oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot that you fiddle. See, I fiddle. on the off season, we could be the Rotoscopers, the band. <laughs> we need to do this. Yes, please, please. Or we could just be the Country Bear Jamboree revival <laughs> tribute band. I can play the jug. That's not that hard, is it? No, no. You can play the jug. We'll give you that one. You're on all wind instruments. Because <laughs> oh, I'm a wind bag. <laughs> I'm wind bag. That's my nickname. Take it home, wind bag. So let's move on to the news. This week was the San Diego Comic Con, which I was very sad that I was not able to attend. I know. Chelsea and I, we went back in 2008 for the original and epic Twilight panel, the very, very first panel that ever happened. And so I think it was one of the biggest. And so that was pretty exciting for us when we went. But then we did get to enjoy all the other nerdy festivities like the animation panels, which was definitely my cup of tea. As a result, since 2008, a lot more studios have come. And I feel like it's become more of a springboard for any sort of entertainment thing, obviously not just comics. Yeah. Uh, Animation being one of them. So there were lots of news this week in animation. So very first news, about a week or two ago, the trailer for Blue Sky Studios movie Epic was released. And this was the one where, I mean, it has Beyonce Knowles, it has Amanda Seyfried. It's based on William Joyce's illustrated children's book, The Leaf Men and the Brave Good Bugs. So essentially it's about these little people who are men with their bugs. So what do you think about the trailer? Uh, Men and their bugs. (laughs) I liked it. I really hope people give this film a chance and not compare it to like a Fern Gully type situation. Oh, I definitely thought of Fern Gully when I saw it. Oh, yeah. I did too, but I I think it's cool. It's completely Fern Gully 
because the main character who is because there is someone who is Josh, normally human. Yeah, Josh Josh Hutcherson who plays the character Nod. He turns into he's a human. No, no, no. It's the opposite way. This time it's a girl who turns into a small person oh. and you know finds these worlds or whatever. But <sighs> so yes, Some, one more thing to make us go green. <laughs> well, I was pretty impressed. Like I liked how they weren't they like flying around on like bugs and like birds and stuff and like hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like hummingbirds. And that's cool. And I think a 3D movie, the whole concept of, like, little people jumping through trees and, like, battling forest animals and stuff, it's so three-dimensional because, you know, a forest is like that. It's not linear or or 2D or anything. So I think it fits for a 3D movie. So just for, like, the whole visuals of it and, like, the cool, like, exciting avatar jumping through tree branches thing, Uh um, I think I'd like to see this film. Yeah. Even though Pitbull is supposed to be voice acting for this, right? Yes. We'll pretend we we didn't know that. (laughs) But, um... I, I can just imagine, like, there's going to be a nighttime scene where they're all around a campfire, and Pitbull's going to break out into some sort of, like, tribal Pitbull's rap. Like, oh, jeez. It's the worldwide. I'm Pitbull. <laughs> Voice always sounds like this. How about a Dr. Pepper? <laughs> um, what I really liked about this trailer so far, so this comes out um, May 24th, 2013, so it's about a year away, but it's, I mean, everything we've seen from Blue Sky recently, and it's been Ice Age, Ice Age, Ice Age, mm-hmm. Ice Age. Oh, and Rio. You know, they really haven't done that much. And so this gets kind of a breath of fresh air for the studio because I feel kind of bad for them. They've kind of like, all right, we know that Ice Age works. It's We're a smaller studio, so it helps us make money this way. But I mean, so they're really kind of branching out into something new and exciting. And it looks really good. So I'm really kind of excited and proud of them. Yeah, me too. It'll be good to branch out from, from the whole Ice Age series because A, like I said, there aren't a lot more geological catastrophes that you can put into the title of your Ice Age films. And I don't think you could make Scrat look any more pathetic than they're making him look in these new films. No. The poor guy's been through so much abuse. Like, can they make his little snout nose sag anymore? Put him to rest. Give him his acorn. Hasn't he been through enough? Four movies. It's a wonder he hasn't died of starvation. That guy has amazing metabolism. There you go. That's my Ice Age rant. I'm sorry. Well, um, Ice Age 4 came out this past week. I don't know. Like, the reviews that I've heard of it, I didn't get to see an advanced screening of this one here. I heard, like, it's great for the kids, and it's just kind of watchable for the adult, you know, which is kind of what I would expect. Like, I heard, you know, they're kind of running dry on source material here. (laughs) Critics call it exceptionally watchable. Okay, so our next news story is the DreamWorks characters are coming to the new Meadowlands amusement park in New Jersey. DreamWorks, they landed a deal with this new amusement park that's opening up in New Jersey, and it's going to be the only amusement park in North America to exclusively hold DreamWorks characters. They also have a lot of really cool rides. We've got indoor skydiving, <laughs> as well as like a, a glass indoor wave skydiving. Pool. Yeah! There's going to be a lot of people getting hurt. I'm just kidding. I think, isn't that where they have the big fan and you just kind of lay on the fan? I and suppose. like, okay, we're turning Maybe. on the fan. And yeah, like, I'm turning on the fan. Well, and they're also having an indoor ski park. Yeah, So strap on your skis. <laughs> so this actually, Meadowlands is developed by the Mall of America developer um, called Triple Five. This project, it started it and they put about $1.9 million 
into this project, and then it just kind of went belly up in 2009. So it's just been sitting there, kind of abandoned. Abandoned amusement park. Yes. Abandoned amusement park. That's kind of a foreshadowing of the movie we'll be watching today. Yeah, so now they're taking it over, and it's located just west of Manhattan near the MetLife football stadium. This is definitely a really important business deal for DreamWorks because, yeah. let's be honest, Disney is not going to let any of their characters into their park. Oh, Universal not. is not going to. I mean, so DreamWorks, this is really important for them because merchandising of your characters, you know, after the movies are said and done, you know, the perpetual merchandising of them is important. You already spent so much money on the movie. Let's continue to make money off this movie. Right. Disney has been doing it for decades and doing it very, very, very well. People still know who Cinderella is, but the movie was released 60 years ago. Right. Finally, I guess they found their their home and it's going to be Meadowlands. <laughs> and it's just like the quirkiest thing I've ever heard. It's like all indoors. There's all this retail and shopping and movie theater, like bowling alley. You know, there'll be themed rides based on the characters. And speaking of uh, DreamWorks characters, they're doing a Penguins of Madagascar movie, aren't they? Yes. DreamWorks this past week at Comic-Con, they announced a lot of things going on, but one of those was actually that they are making a Penguins of Madagascar film. In addition, you know, to the Penguins of Madagascar TV series that they already have. Please don't let it be the same type of quality. Oh, you'd hope not. <laughs> I doubt it. If they're going to actually make a movie out of it. Well, I think the penguins are probably the most popular out of all the Madagascar characters. I think so. Or at least the most lovable and ones you want to watch again. Uh-huh. But how much material can they milk off of these characters? I mean, we've gone through this. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but it's like... Yeah. Um, I guess this is the whole, like, DreamWorks, like, really having confidence in their characters because they are popular and they are cuddly, I guess. But, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if I can ever see myself going to this part, but... Well, and another, like, announcement that they just made is that there's a Kung Fu Panda 3 movie. Oh, no. It was kind of... I mean, I guess, like, there was a audience question at Comic-Con, and he kind of, like, weaseled the answer out of him. You know, oh, it was, like, a very, ins- a very incisive <laughs> question. And one of the, the head of DreamWorks was kind of like, eh, yeah, yeah, we are doing that. Like, Kung Fu Panda 3. Also, we've been covering a lot of things over at the website, so if you want to head on over there to the rotoscopers.com for more info, you can also head on over to Hypable. If you, you're new to Hypable, Hypable really is, it's for fans, by fans. So Comic-Con just came this past week, and they had incredible Comic-Con footage. I mean, they live blog a lot of the panels and the events, and so you can go back and you can read through their transcripts of things. They write a new story about every little thing that happens. But while we focus on just strictly feature animation, they do TV shows and they do the parks and all these other things that relate to animation. And since they have, you know, obviously a network of writers, they can cover it on a larger scale than we can. So mm-hmm. go check out Hypable. They're really awesome. It's a great, great resource. <laughs> Don't forget to say woot. Woot! Woot, woot! So getting down into this uh, discussion, we're actually going to be doing something we haven't done before, and that is discussing a Japanese animation movie, a.k.a. anime. Ooh, yeah! Ooh. Is there like an anime song? Anime, you're my favorite! <laughs> <laughs> and then, sorry, like, I have mixed feelings about anime, but like, at the end of it, there's always some sort of like really sappy kind of 80s sounding it is um, so theme song at the end that has like weird, really weird translation. <laughs> like, strike the moon with our teenage love! <laughs> You know? Oh, man. Dance on top of the Milky Way! Some sort of Power Rangers power thing, you know? And they're always, 
in all animes during the credits, there's always just background scenes as the background yeah. scenes. It's just the background, and, like, and they shift from one, people. one background to the other while they're playing. Yeah. You know, the second. It's just music. like run cycles over and over again of the characters. You know. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's just so quirky. And we've got a lot of uh, fans of anime that have you know, liked our, our Facebook page recently and have become fans recently. And we've gotten requests for anime. And so we respect that and we want to give our fans what we want. We're like the band Kiss. We never turn down a request from the fans. Oh, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so I thought of this, this kind of fun game. I call it the Super Awesome Fun Time Anime Synopsis Game Deluxe Bean Burrito Game. What we're going to do is we're gonna I'm going to read some synopses of anime series that are fans may or may not recognize. But some of them I have made up myself, so they're just mumbo-jumbo. And so I'm going to read a synopsis to Morgan and, and Chelsea, or you guys work together, or we'll, I'll single one of you guys out. Okay. And then you have to tell me if what I'm describing is an actual anime series or something I made up, so, so fact or fake. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Oh no, I'm afraid. I'm going to be really bad at this. <laughs> but it's going to be great. Go. I looked at the anime genre on Netflix, and some of the synopses were just like, <laughs> awesome. Oh jeez. There's no way you could tell if I made these up or not. I don't know. <laughs> I tried to be as creative as possible yeah. with the ones that I made up, so hopefully it won't be like too easy. I took the real ones off of the, uh, the little blip synopses from Netflix, you know, from the Instant Q. Yes. And I will include the names of them if you for the real ones. Yes. All right, let's get this party started. Okay, so this one is for both of y'all. Okay. Okay, real or not real. <clears throat> this series centers on the exploits of a group of immortal 18th century alchemists currently living as Prohibition-era gangsters. What? Oh, that's got to be real. It is real. It's called Bacano. Oh, <laughs> Yes. So we've got uh, 18th century alchemists currently living as Prohibition-era gangsters. Oh, my so, gosh. Okay. So that's, Why uh, not? <laughs> pass the Kool-Aid. I'm in. <laughs> Here's one. Whenever law student Light writes down a person's name in his newly found notebook, that person ends up dead. Deciding to take the law into his own hands, Light uses his powerful new tool to wipe out criminals from the face of the earth. Oh, I'm going to say that's real. Fake. Mm, Morgan, how could you forget about Death Note? <laughs> Very popular series about a kid with a notebook and he writes down anybody's name in it and they die instantly after that. Oh gosh, how morbid. Oh, I, know. I know. I actually I actually remember they made a couple live action movies after that, uh, based on it, and I actually remember picking up the very first issue at a dentist's office um, many years ago. Is I didn't had no idea huh? it was popular. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's, it's quite back. let's see. In this quirky series, socially awkward teenager Yoshiro is kidnapped by otherworldly creatures and taken to an interstellar academy where earthlings teach aliens how to behave like humans. I'm going to say that's fake. fake. It is fake. <laughs> this is something I made up. Nice. <laughs> it should be. I think here, it right? would work, though. It has quirk potential. Here we go. Oh, here's a good one. In this series, vampires, cyborgs, and aliens collide when the nine Earth spirits offer the city of Tokyo to the strongest race. Real. I'm going to say fake. Chelsea wins. It's also fake. Yay! You tricked me by using the word Tokyo. <laughs> All about Tokyo. For some reason, everyone wants Tokyo. Here's another good one. Two brothers use the science of alchemy to try to resurrect their mother. Alchemy again. You know, it's all about alchemy. So instead, they unleash a chemical reaction that tears apart their bodies. Oh. I'm going to say that's real. Um, real? It is real. That is a series called Full Metal Alchemist. Popular, actually. You know, the ones that I made up could actually be real animes for all I know. Here's another one. So, Yuki's family harbors a strange secret. If any of them are hugged by a member of the opposite sex, they transform into animals of the Chinese Zodiac. Real. Fake. Morgan is right. That is an actual uh, anime series called yes. Fruit Basket. Fruit 
that? What? Fruits basket. Oh, okay. Yeah. Being hugged by a member of the opposite sex turns you into from dragon to rat. Better watch out. <laughs> fruit baskets. Totally plausible. All right. Here's another one. Young hero never ventures outside his protected countryside home. That is, until a mysterious girl and her band of thieves arrive and mistake him for the demon slayer, Balthazar. <laughs> I'm going to say fake. Yeah, fake on that one. Both fake? Dang, I'm not very good. That was the first one I made up, so my imagination gears hadn't been... The word Balthazar was kind of... Yeah, that was... Here we go. When a cataclysm shatters the moon, plants become the world's most intelligent life forms until a young boy finds a girl in suspended animation. Um, I'm going to say real. Real. It is real. It's a movie called Origin, Spirits of the Past, When Plants Rule. Let's see. Little Shop of Horrors. I guess we didn't have the money to buy a script for that at my high school, so we did a, we did a play instead called Little Luncheonette of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> Little what? <laughs> no. Speaking oh, of high school, <clears throat> in this series, high schoolers Nikki and Sasami love to pull pranks on their fellow students. The tables are turned, however, when a ghost named Uboa traps them inside the school for one night. Um, I'm gonna say fake. Real. It is not real. This is something <laughs> I made up. <laughs> nice. How about this one? Waking naked outside the White House, Akira Takizawa has no memory, and his only clues are the gun and cell phone he holds in his hands. What the heck? Mm-hmm. Why would you wake up naked at the White House? I don't know. You tell me. You gotta watch the series. Yeah, we're gonna say real. I'm gonna say real, at least. Fake. It is a real series. <laughs> called Eden of the East, and they made, a, they made a movie after that. I don't know. Alright, so these are the last two, and they may both be real, they may both be fake. One may be real, and one may be fake. You get the idea? Anyway, so all single y'all out on this one. Okay. This one's for Chelsea. Alright. When Saki Matsukara, a widow, insults a short-tempered witch named Sadako, she is cursed by transforming into Tokyo's most famous pop singer every time she goes to sleep. What the heck? What? <laughs> I'm gonna say fake. It is fake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I really did know a girl named Saki Matsukara. Okay. But she wasn't a pop singer. <laughs> I'm like, just because it was singled out to me as a pop singer, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> hey, you know. Okay, you got this, Morgan? Yes. The final synopsis. Mild-mannered Tenshi Masaki must act as mediator for Ryoko, a space pirate, Mihoshi, a galaxy police officer, Ayaka, a princess, and Washu, a scientific genius, and still try to get to class on time. Oh, that's real. It's always, it real. About, it's always about going to school, too. <laughs> it's always about going to school, isn't it? Okay, good call. That is called Tenchi Universe, and the Tenchi series is one of my favorite. It's one of the very few anime series I actually kind of liked. It's really funny because it's kind of like every stereotypical anime girl crash lands from space onto this kid's house, yeah. and they all have a crush on him, so they're, like, battling each other to the death, constantly trying to win the affections of this boy, but he's so, like, shy, you know, finding anything to do with him. So the whole series is this huge battle royale of of Japanese girls and it's really funny but anyway yeah so that's a real anime series now and that's, I know. All, that's all I have I want to make up more but I was like Ugh. that's um, quite a range you got there so what have we learned from all this girls what have we learned <laughs> I've learned that from the beginning it's hard for me to relate to Japanese anime <gasps> oh, except for the pop singer I, that was right in my alley I've learned like Big Brother with anime you need to expect the unexpected it's true <laughs> 
That's true. There's American animation that's just as bizarre. Yeah. A, a yellow sponge lives in, in a pineapple next to his starfish neighbor and squid neighbor who hates him. Yeah. <laughs> on a planet where cars transform into battling robots, you know? Hey, that one's high class. <laughs> so you guys, you guys did pretty good. I mean, you called a lot of the real anime, anime series and you detected a lot of my fake ones, so... It does go to show you that animes, are, they have a very vivid imagination. I know, strange premise, like, getting hugged by a girl turns you into a Chinese zodiac. I would take a gamble and want to be turned into a dragon, I'd be like, hugs, free hugs! <laughs> <laughs> Crap, I turn into a turtle. Is a turtle even a Chinese zodiac? No. You're the, Actually, the I, I was born in Year of the Dragon. Really? Oh, we had to rub that in, huh? Oh, Isn't it obviously? Tiger, tiger. <laughs> you would be a tiger. You know how people are always like, oh, you're such a cancer. Or you're like, <laughs> how come nobody walks around and is like, oh, you're a dog. You're a dog, aren't you? Actually, people do walk around and call people that. <laughs> Men are pigs. Exactly. Right, I was born in the year of the pig. <laughs> Well, this week, as we were talking about, we are now on anime. So we got to watch the movie Spirited Away. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film. Honey, don't take a shortcut. You always get us lost. From master filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki. What is it? Come on, let's go in. I want to see what's on the other side. Be here. Get out of here now. What? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go. I'll distract them. Mommy! Ah! I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Ah! Come on, wake up. I'm Cicero. Don't be afraid. I'm Master Haku. No. I just want to help you. No. In worlds seen and unseen, where spirits are transformed, <laughs> and sorcerers rule, the witch Ibaba controls you by stealing your name. If you completely forget it, you'll never find your way home. Your name belongs to me now. One girl's future depends on her judgment. Aren't you getting wet out there? I'll leave the door open for you. Her courage. It's Haku! He's hurt! Haku! Haku! This way! Her loyalty. Haku helped me before. Now I want to help him. Everyone, I need my shoes and clothes, please. And remembering one thing above all else. I want you to know my real name. It's Chihiro. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli film. Experience a magical movie phenomenon embraced by all the world. Let's go! This fall, prepare to be spirited away. actually directed by Hayao Miyazaki, who is kind of lovingly referred to as the Japanese Walt Disney. Yes, he is. 
Wow, that's pretty that's pretty heavy. It is. The movie was put out by Studio Ghibli and is basically one of the most successful films in Japanese history. Well, when it was released, it was the most successful, wasn't it? Yeah, it had over it had overtaken Titanic as the highest grossing film in Japan. And I don't think it currently is. I think it was taken over by something else, but at the time, it was incredibly successful. I think the Japanese culture is a bit more open to animation, and adults are more open to seeing animated films mm-hmm. and things like that. And mm-hmm. especially these films, I don't think there's that stereotype that animation is for children, because they have animation and mangas and animes for all sorts. You know, there's adult mangas and animes, and there's ones for little kids, there's one for teenagers, for college students. I think it's kind of a universal medium to, as a way to tell a story, and it's a bit more adopted in that culture. And so, yeah, they're going to go see a movie, you know, an animated film. Unlike our culture, where it's like, oh, I'll go with my kids. Right. Yeah. So, Studio Ghibli, it was a studio that was founded in 1985 in Japan. Obviously, it's they focus on films for the Japanese market, and over the years, they have been picked up by you know domestic and foreign distribution, foreign for them, domestic for us. <laughs> and that was more in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, is when Disney really started becoming the United States distributor, or like the North American distributor for these films. But they started back in 1985. And so some of the newer films that have come out, which seem newer for us, were actually created about 20 years ago. They just hadn't been distributed. So some of the, let's just go through some of the films that they have done just to, you know, wet your palate so you can understand. Castle in the Sky. Oh, yeah. My Neighbor Howl, Totoro. Howl's moving, Howl's moving Castle, right? Uh, yeah, that, that's a different one, actually. Um, so Castle. Kiki's Delivery Service. Other ones you might know is Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, Secret World of Arrietty. Um, was but, um, Tales of Earthsea by Studio Ghibli? Uh, yes, it was. Okay. I think that's a newer one, right? Mm-hmm. That one came out in 2006. So, in total, they have about 18 films. One that is not released, but, I mean, they've done quite well for themselves over the years. And so, the studio was founded by Hayao Miyazaki, and then also his counterpart, Isayao Takahata. Okay, again, normally we have a spoiler warning, but this time we are doing a pronunciation warning. We know we're going to botch all these names. We are so sorry. Just forgive yeah, us. I hope this doesn't, yeah, I hope this doesn't make our anime fans kind of disappointed in us. Like, we're really going to try to give them what they want with this film. It's just uh, our Japanese isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> it really has just gone by the wayside. I know. We're going to be all like Mater on Cars 2. Domo uh, Arigato. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways, that's all I have to say. So, let's go on to Spirited Away. Spirited Away was a movie that was created in 2001 in Japan, but it was released here in 2002. It won the it won all sorts of awards, including the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. And so, I, I specifically remember this year. It was my freshman year of high school, and I was really interested in this movie because it had won. And I, I always paid attention to the animated uh, award category for the Oscars. And so, the fact that this Japanese animation movie won and it beat out Disney or whatever it was against that year was just like shocking to me. And I remember like hearing so many good things about this film that I just really wanted to see it. Like I had hopes and dreams of seeing it. I was waiting for it to come out on DVD. And then by the time it came around, like I don't know what happened. I never saw it. So I had not seen this movie up until just this past week. And I'm like, it was like a culmination of all sorts of childhood hopes of wanting to see this movie for me. (laughs) 
I actually saw this movie a couple of years ago, I guess when it first came around. My brother, he had just got into like the whole Netflix thing, so he was just getting a movie a week. Uh It was just all the time. And he ended up getting this movie, and I just remember walking in and just being so weirded out. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) because I I think it had like Yubaba on there as well, and then the No Face guy, and just all these like weird, grotesque looking characters that I just, I'm like, ew, I can't stand Mm -hmm. this. What is this? Ah, it was it was too weird for me at that time. You watched the whole thing? Um, I think I barely just watched parts of it. Yeah, you mm. can't do that for an anime. No, you can't <laughs> at all. I think I compare anime to like awkward conversations, you know, to where you can't just jump into them or else you'll just be lost or offended. You know? Let's see. I think I first saw this film uh, my junior year in high school. Some friends of mine from our drama club had an anime night. I was like, sure, I'll go. And uh, it was cool. Let's see. We watched, I can't remember the other films. They're just like little known films, but we really, I, I really liked it. Really impressed with this movie. And I think the first point that I think we should make about this film is that Spirited Away is awesome because it stands out from other Japanese animation. It looks different. And to me, I think overall, it makes it a lot more like friendly for mm-hmm. Western viewers. Oh, yeah. I'll agree with that. Yeah, 100% agree with that because, I mean, I think anime, it's just like when you hear that name, it like really deters me and maybe a lot of other people are like, eh, I know like my husband, like if you just like mention anime, he's like, I can't stand that stuff. You know? <laughs> oh, like my whole family can't stand anime. And you know, my dad, he doesn't like anime, but he cites Speed Racer as why he doesn't like anime. And so if my dad doesn't like Speed Racer, then that kind of knocks out like 99% of all Japanese animation out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing that I think kind of is odd or kind of like off-putting about anime is like chibis, which are, you know, when they get really small and they turn into like... small and weird, yeah. And then, you know, their heads randomly turn giant and they start screaming and their mouth goes... You know, takes up three quarters of their face. I mean, like a lot of times it's like really low... Like when I think of anime, I think of really low budget. So like only their mouth will be moving and everything else will be static or they'll just have yeah. like multicolored, you know, like going to give you a seizure type background. Yeah. You just described, you just perfectly described all of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> On the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. And it's just like, Kakarot, my power level is five times yours. I'm the prince of all Saiyans. And they like scream for like five minutes, you know? Yes. Yeah, but like Studio Ghibli films, I feel, are very watchable. <laughs> they they don't have that. They stay true to model. They There's very fantastical elements in the films, but they are, I don't know, they're, they're fantastical, but at the same time, they're real. And a bit more okay. Western, I guess. They're more fluid in the animation. Well, because of higher budget. Right, yeah, but... Higher budget, I guess, yeah. Like, for example, my parents saw The Secret World of Arietti, and I didn't tell them to see it. They just kind of, like, walked in and saw it. And I was a bit nervous when they first were explaining to me that they saw this movie, because I was like, oh, no, like... I think I had seen it, too, but I was just like, oh, you know, they're going to think it's anime and have all these stereotypes about it, and they're, you know, going to be really biased about it, because I'm, I'm sure lots of people were, especially for that movie. But they came out, and they, like, loved it. They thought that it was, like you said, like, very smooth and fluid, the animation. Mm-hmm. They thought it was beautiful. Like, I'm grateful that this wasn't, like, a traditional anime because they would have been completely revolted i think and walked out yeah so and, and don't get me wrong i like traditional animes series. like i really like Gundam <laughs> oh, and yeah. yes i'll watch dragon ball z and <laughs> and stuff like that but i just think the point to be made here is that studio ghibli stands out and yeah. i do agree the movement is more fully animated and i think that has to do with the budget also the stories miyasaki's films they like they kind of wrap up pretty well in every film like there's no like really strange ambiguous ending what the heck did i just watch you know <laughs> kind of like in between in and the Dark Knight. Like, it's kind of ambiguous, but there's a definite end. Yeah, which this movie definitely has. Yeah. And that's what I like about this film. Like, it's a really good story. And we'll talk about the story in a second. And it 
about the character's animation, like, I don't know. I kind of like the whole grotesqueness of some of these character designs in Spirited Away. Like, you can tell the filmmakers weren't, like, afraid to make them ugly and grotesque. Uh-huh. Kind of Rango, it's kind of the Rango thing. They're appealing yeah. characters, and they animate well, and they read well. There's not, like, the stereotypical anime-looking people, you know? Even even Chihiro slash Sen, the, the protagonist of this movie, she even looks a little awkward, you know? Uh-huh. The characters have style, but they're not, like, super stylized and, like, these streamlined anime characters that you see in a lot of films. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the exception of Haku, who's, like, I hate to say it, but, like, kind of your typical anime boy who's, mm-hmm. like, you can't really tell if he's a boy or a girl until you hear his voice. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Poor Haku. He's a really cool character, but that's just what I thought. Yeah. I, I liked the character design for the most part. Like, at first, it was kind of far-fetched, you know, like, Yubaba, how her head is, like, super giant Love and it. huge. She totally reminded me of in Super Mario 3. You know, you go to level 4. It's called yeah. Big Island, and everything's big. The mushrooms are big. Yeah. The blocks are big. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's called World 4. Level 4 is for each stage. Um, it's referring to stages. Oh, well, th- thank you. Yeah, right. We, we might have Comic-Con people. <laughs> world 4, Big Island. You know, so, like, I felt like she came from that world because everything else was, like, pretty normal and proportions were were right. And then she was like, whoa, like, what sort of engorging charm hit you? <laughs> well, you about the radish spirit who just, like, pops up. The radish spirit rules. <laughs> Like, I got engorged. <laughs> Did you see him dancing, like dancing with with glee when they pull all the crap out of the river spirit? Oh yeah, he's like oh, yeah. hopping around and like dancing. He was on like a balcony, right, with everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Spirit. Okay, so I read something that Miyazaki said about Chihiro that he didn't really want her to be pretty because she's supposed to be like a ten year old girl, and she's modeled after this family friend, ten year old girl who would come over and spend summers with them. Yeah, that's right. And he said that he did not want her, the hero to be a pretty girl. So at the beginning, he was really frustrated at how she looked really dull. And, you know, he kept thinking, like, she isn't cute. You know, isn't there something to do about this? But as the film ended, he, you know, he was a really, he was really relieved with her character design because he got the feeling that she will be a charming woman. Like, she will grow into herself, you know? Because, like, Chelsea just gave me some pictures from when we were 12, and it's like, <laughs> man, I thought I was pretty decent looking at that I know, age. So like, I. I had no problem with the way that I looked. And I looked back and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> no wonder no one paid attention to you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I just, saw those pictures and I'm just like, oh my goodness. It's just kind of like all girls go through that just like very awkward, dull braces. Stage. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, that's kind of nice that she embodied that. She was just a normal girl. She had nothing necessarily special about her. I mean, she was a brat and all those things. I think Chihiro as a character was relatable to a lot of people, not just not just women, but men as well, you know, because mm-hmm. the whole 10 year old being 10, you know, whatever stage. I liked how Miyasaki apparently he closed monitored the animation of each character, which I think kind of adds to this whole like Japanese Walt Disney thing, you know, nickname of his. I think it was cool that he put a lot of thought into each character. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think now's a good time to kind of spotlight Chihiro as a character because I think she's an amazing character like in this film. I hope people don't just pass her off as like annoying or whatever because her, they put a lot of heart into her character and I think they did an amazing job with her. Watching her transformation in this movie kind of made the film for me besides, of course, the, the visuals for this film, which were amazing. Mm-hmm. For one, I think she's hilarious at the mm-hmm. beginning of the film, like in the car ride, because she's got this really like angry face. <laughs> she's really pouty, and they're like, "Oh, look, there's your new school. It's going to be great." And she sticks her tongue out at it, you know. <laughs> the, the whole beginning of the film, she's very scared and dependent, you know. She's very needy and also slightly bratty, you know, naive. 
believe. Yeah. Okay, this is one scene where at the very beginning, like, you start to know, notice that things aren't right when they're in this abandoned amusement park and her parents are like, hey, let's sit down and eat this, you know, smorgasbord that just randomly popped up. <laughs> you know, she goes over to the huge, this huge weird bathhouse, you know, the skies start getting dark and then Haku shows up and is like, you can't be here. I will perform a magic spell. And all she says afterwards is, what's up with that guy? What's up with him? And it's like, oh boy, you have a lot to learn. I love the way she runs. She like has her hands up by her shoulders. And yeah. just, you know, she just kind of this awkward. You can tell she's yeah. not an athlete in any way. This is very, very kind of girly, but in like a non girly way. I don't know. I can't even explain it, but it's just like, whenever she would run, I'd just be like, Oh, you adolescent. I know, a very adolescent. That's a really great way to put it. Her animation is so precious. And they had a killer animation team on her because some of her stuff is just so funny. Cause she's so freaked out. She has no idea what's going on. And she's really quirky. Like when she's trying to get down those steps to go, down to the boiler room and she slips and she like runs down and she just hits a wall. Yeah, that, I love she that part. She doesn't fall back from it. She just sticks to the wall. Yeah, I feel up. like I've done that a few times. <laughs> she looks up and there's like a dude looking for her and she just kind of like stays in that same pose and just kind of inches her way around the corner. <laughs> It's really funny. I don't think they would have done stuff like that in, like, your more typical mainstream animes, you know? Yeah. This, the beginning of that movie, you know, is very frightening, I felt. Like, as I was watching it, I was just kind of, like, scared. Oh, man, this is, it's pretty creepy, and I'm kind of scared by how, I don't know, just, like, creepy this place is and foreboding. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just, like, didn't, you know, she was having to run away and escape and I just, yeah. the, the mood shifts once she kind of gets settled in and accepted and, like, everything else isn't so unknown. Mm -hmm. But definitely, the, like, the first I don't know, like 20 minutes is just very frightening. I know, because she gets like further and further isolated from her parents because mm -hmm. problem after problem gets heaped up on her, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's too early to talk about this, but talking about the story, like it's definitely not a Western story because yeah. her lowest point is at the beginning of the film, you know? Not yeah. towards the end before she, you know, learns her lesson and, and fights the antagonist. And I think it's refreshing to see because it's so sad. Like some of the parts were, <laughs> some of the parts are so sad yet so funny. Like some of her outbursts that she makes where she sees her dad, mom and dad at pigs in the stall and she, like, can't hold it back much longer and she just goes, Mom, Dad, don't worry, I'll get you back. Just don't eat too much or they'll, you'll get fat and they'll eat you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> oh, that's classic, like, childhood imagination. Always jumping to, this is what's going to happen. I know it. <laughs> I like Chihiro a lot because, you know, towards the end of the film, she really learns to care for people other, other than herself and she takes responsibility for what she's done because mm -hmm. she has made some mistakes, you know, with the bathhouse because she's an awkward human. She doesn't know, but she takes responsibility for that and by the end of the film, you see that she's a different person and it's very impressive. I like that Miyazaki put that into the film because that's like a very mature bold statement to make, you know? Mm -hmm. And it goes on with these themes and symbolisms that we'll talk about, but man, I just I just think the story is so cool. And this is my last rant on the story. I just think it's great because I love stories where not only the protagonist changes, but other characters change as well. You keep your static characters that are fun and they get the plot moving and they present conflicts like Yubaba or characters like Kamanji who are static, you know, they don't really change, but you discover who they really are through the course of the film. So I, I like all, all types, but I, I like this story because there's there's a real growth that happens. Miyazaki made a statement that said, Spirited Away isn't a story in which the characters grow up, but a story in which they draw on something already inside them, brought out by particular circumstances. It's not like Chihiro changed her character. She just discovered the inner independent woman, you know, inside of her, and in the end, it helped her uh, it helps her deal with uh, her new surroundings when her parents get back in the car, and she's like, yeah, I think I can handle all this now. Yeah, this is a story about changing from child 
child to adult. Mm -hmm. And I was reading that, you know, it really happens when she loses her name. It's kind of a, you can't go back situation. It's not like once she gets her name back, she can go back to the way that she was. When when her name is taken from her, that's her childhood taken from her. And she now is forced to progress forward into adulthood. And this, you know, series of events is what helps move her along to that. And by the time she gets her name back, she can't go back. She doesn't want to go back. She's already progressed. It's kind of like, you know, when you're in parking lots and there's those pokey gates that you on the bottom and you Mm -hmm. have to ride over them. But if you poke back, it'll pop your tires. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like you can only go forward and you can't go back at all. There's no possible way to get back into the parking lot. You are free and you can go forward. And and that's life. And also the central theme of Lion King too. You can't stay in the past. Ah, but Lion King one and a half. That's all, it all is. about. Like, uh, <laughs> let's let's be weird and ruin the events of the first film. Anyway, <laughs> so any scenes that stood out to y'all in this film? I thought the very beginning when they're like driving up into that road, the dad's just like, oh. Look at this one little drive off. <laughs> the mom's like, honey, please don't take a shortcut. It totally reminded me of Beauty and the Beast. Or he's just like, you know, Maurice is, oh, we'll take this little creepy way. Oh, yeah. He's like, no, come don't on, do it. Come on, Philippe. It's a shortcut. <laughs> Philippe's like, uh, as a Disney horse, I must say that I'm smarter than you. And, <laughs> and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So life-changing event coming right up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love it. The beginning is so... It's kind of typical of, like, a scary movie, you know? So everything's very supernatural, very eerie. Mm-hmm. They pass the little houses, and her mom like, that's where the spirits are. I love Japanese, like, Japanese supernatural stuff, because they always start playing, like, really traditional kind of kabuki-sounding music when the monsters start coming out and when creepy things start happening. I love the daddy's like, I, I, this has four-wheel drive. <laughs> it's like... No, I don't need directions. Going along with the eeriness that's established at the beginning of the film, how it sort of has these horror elements... Seriously, instant formula for creepiness is an abandoned amusement park. It's true. (laughs) Oh, man. If you just, like, do a Google search of, like, abandoned amusement parks, you can just see all these crazy ones. And I'll be honest, a lot of them are in Asia. There's a lot of them. And it was just right. It's like, oh, yeah, I got really into this in the 90s. And then they all just went, but... Oh, yeah. What the dad said. Yeah. Well, you know something's wrong when they they walk down that long, dark corridor, you know? Oh, yeah. Which brings up a possible Mason theory here. Brace yourselves. Oh. Mason theory. Mason theory. Maybe it's because I watched the others last night, so I'm all into this, like, they were actually dead the whole time. (laughs) You know? Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert for the others. Anyway, doesn't matter. That's not animation. So (laughs) my theory was that the car actually crashed on the way to their house and that Chihiro and her folks are actually dead and are entering the afterlife life, which there's a lot of holes in that because why would her parents turn into pigs and like they yeah. came back, so so yeah that, that, that's just my little theory, you take it or leave it but it's not a very good one. <laughs> is that a real theory? Well, it's not a very good one, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, when they're eating the food. Is this when they're eating the food? The, the dad's like, don't worry, you got daddy here. He's got credit cards and cash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, this kind of goes with the allegory that this movie talks about. It was, you know, kind of the consumerism of the Japanese life. Yeah. Um, especially during, like, the early 90s, early 2000s, where everyone was just spending, 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 and they kind of had this inflated bubble of wealth, where it was all just, let's look, put everything on plastic. You know, that was actually, like, a really big problem. And so he's kind of making kind of a social commentary on that. But I I really liked that quote at the time, but obviously it had deeper meaning. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love it. And when they start eating the food, like they start really getting into the food. I was like, what is going, okay, something's wrong here. Like they shouldn't be that into this weird buffet that just suddenly popped up and they're just chowing down and they don't even know what they're eating. The mom's like, Ooh, what is this? It's like, <laughs> which, which brings me, which brings up my first unanswered question of this film is were the parents under some sort of like magical spell when they start to pig out pun intended on that food or are they just dumb? Like, no, yeah, I was kind of confused about that because it was either because they are, you know, pigs internally, and that's kind of their attitude is that they just gorge, gorge, gorge. That was a, an effect of the food, or was it the second your lips touched the food, you kind of became uncontrollably hungry and needed to like satisfy that? So let's say Chihiro would have eaten the food, she would have, you know, gone crazy too, or it was because her parents had this kind of like pig like attitude in their lives where that was just a result of what happened. And Ch Chihiro doesn't really have that. So if she were to eat the food, that wouldn't result. I was mm. kind of like kind of balancing that in my head, but I think it was just kind of a reflection of how pig like they are in their lives and in their spending. Hmm. that they got turned into pigs as kind of a punishment. That's pretty plausible. But, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I really hope it's some sort of magical spell and symbolism because I wouldn't want them for my parents. Like, they would fall for every trap. Speaking of food, what's up this, with this whole roasted newt thing? Everyone loved that. Yeah. Mom's just like, I've got roasted newt. <laughs> and the girl's like, oh my gosh. And then Fine. the guy's like, well, what do you got there? I've got roasted newt. Oh my gosh, I've totally forgotten what I was previously saying. It must be a cool you know? thing. I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but oh. if you were offering me that, I'd be like, are you, are you like, kidding heck me? Heck no. I'm Answer not, my question. What's I'm not that girl on, doing? I'm not on Survivor here. This has no <laughs> interest to me right now. I'm not Survivor. You know, this whole movie kind of reminds me of Alice in Wonderland, the whole concept of like, yeah. oh yeah, kind of a girl that really needs an attitude adjustment coming into this really crazy world where she is the outcast, you know? Yeah. No, this has a lot of similarities with Alice in Wonderland and then also Pinocchio. Yeah. Because, you know, like when the parents turn into pigs, that's very much reminiscent of Pleasure Island and the kids giving into their pleasures and turning into donkeys. I mean, I think Ooh. those two, I mean, they just happen to be Disney movies, but they're based on classical fairy tales first. But I think those two um, are actually listed as sources of inspiration for this film. So yeah, definitely there's lots of Alice in Wonderland references or yeah. similarities, I guess. These are a couple of scenes I really like. I freaking laughed out loud when the stink spirit comes into the bathhouse. For one, they make such an effort for, to turn him away. Yeah. They're like, no, no, please go back. You're, we're closed. You know, and she just kind of pushes past him. And then when Sen and Yubaba smell him, her hair just like freaks out and they're both like... Oh my gosh, when her hair Ugh. stands up on end. <laughs> It's like this really painful, like, holy crap. <laughs> like, that's so cute. There's some really cute stuff. Like, I like how the crow Yubaba, like her little watch crow. Oh my gosh, those are kind awesome. of her version of Maleficent's crow, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Does Maleficent's crow have a name? My pet? My um, pet. No, it's called Diablo. Really? Yeah. Diablo? That's no, no, original. no. Not Diablo. It's D I A B O. L-O. So it's like, Diabolo. Diabolo. <laughs> well, why don't they just name it General Grievous? <laughs> so anyway, when the crow and the baby um, turn into, like, I like how they're, like, best friends after they're transformed. They're, like, always hanging out with each other. They're, like, on the spinning wheel together. Hey. You know, they're, like, total chums after they've been transformed. And they don't even they don't even want to be turned back. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, the baby kind of does, but doesn't, but he's completely satisfied in, in being a hamster. And then he's just, like, or no, he's like a, a rat, right? And then he's like going along in the hamster wheel. Just he's getting exercise. That's good. He's not even throwing a fit. Is the fact that I'm no longer a child, a baby. I'm no longer a 
gargantuan baby. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very odd. They, like, it never really explains it. Like, is that really her child? Yeah. Oh, I, hey, where did the child come from? Like, he's just, like, shoved in the pillows under there, and that was, like, very disturbing to me that you would just yeah. keep a child under a bunch of pillows, but then again, in this strange world, I mean, like, whatever, it's going to be okay. So, uh, quick question. Who is creepier, the big baby in this movie or big baby in Toy Story 3? Oh, big baby in this movie. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You didn't think the whole part on Toy Story 3 where where they're trying to escape and Big Baby's just sitting on the swing set looking out off into the moon? You didn't think that was... <laughs> it's always really creepy. <laughs> yes, it is. So, tons of great scenes, tons of great characters in this movie. One last, one last scene that I think is, like, the most iconic scene in this movie is when Sen's on the train and there's just this, like, little image of her... Sitting down, she's told No Face to sit down by her, you know, and she's totally silent and she just looks off towards her destination. I think that's like the moment where you really see the transformation in Sen, that she's like turned around and that she's a responsible, determined young woman who has a mission, you know, and she's not this complaining, whiny, helpless girl anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know that she made changes before that moment, but for me, that was just like the, the one of the more powerful scenes of the film when you kind of see the point of this movie is like, oh, so she's made this like great transformation. And it kind of reminded me of Harry Potter in the in Deathly Hallows Part 2, like just the book, that the whole fact that he was like, he knew who he was and he knew what he had to do, so there was no question anymore. Yeah. Kind of that, yeah, kind, yeah. Of, kind, of that kind of moment. Yeah, it's cool to see her change. Like, I don't think it's a light switch type of change with her. It's very subtle and slow because, yeah, like sitting at the at the end of this, I'm like, oh, yeah, she was actually like a huge brat at the beginning of the film. But they slowly like evolved her character and, and moved from there. Evolved. Don't press B. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I noticed is kind of interesting about a lot of these Japanese animation films is that the English dubbing, their insults are quite blunt. They use the word idiot a lot, and they're just a lot more ridiculing than normal animation movies or normal kid movies are in the West. Did you guys yeah. notice that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. There's this one character. Who's the who's the woman that she finds work with? Lynn? She's, yeah, I know. Even when she's nice to, nice to send, she's kind of mean to her because she's like, hmm, you're so puny. You know, <laughs> she's picking out her, her clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a translation thing, and it's and it's okay to say stuff that's more blunt or strong like that. But no, but what I, I loved about her is like speak of the devil, you know. And like, <laughs> as she was talking, I was like, oh, it's Meg. I know it's it, Meg. It's Megara from Hercules, you know. I like absolutely love it because Susan Egan did her voice. She just kind of embodies this sarcastic, I you know, independent her. woman, and she's perfect for this character. And I really haven't heard her in many things since Hercules. Yeah, I mean. She was the original Belle on Broadway, mm. but you know, so she does like the singing and and Broadway stuff. But at movie wise and you know, voice actor wise, I don't hear much from her. And so to hear her in this, at first I was like, "Whoa, it's Meg!" And I was fangirling out. But then, like, she really was a delightful role hearing her voice in this, yeah. in this character. I think that that made it so that she was my favorite character, mostly just because I think I enjoy her voice. I enjoy her her attitude. Always. Mm-hmm. It gave me an instant, like, tie-in to the character. And so I was like, I like you. I don't care what you do. You're Meg. It'll yeah. be very cool. Yeah, yeah I, I like how strong a character she is. I love her line, this is clearly harassment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love her line when um, she's like, what's going on here? He's like, something you wouldn't recognize. It's called love. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a jab. <laughs> yeah. Lynn. 
and, and and that's good because they they could have t- taken this movie a lot of different ways and had like a love interest and like a romance and blah blah blah. Well, no, kind of Lynch just yeah, there kind of is, but Lynn is just like the strong, you know, kind of sarcastic woman. So, what do you guys think about this Haku guy? He's a very deep, kind of complex character. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, before we get into the series, another Disney voice recognition for me was as I was hearing him instantly. It's like, is that Max Goof? <laughs> <laughs> yep, oh, ding ding ding. <laughs> Dad, you're embarrassing me. Oh, he's only the greatest pop star over walk the planet. Oh man. So yeah, I mean, this guy, his name's Jason Marston, not to be confused with James Marston, who did uh, Prince Edward in Enchanted, and he's this guy. He's not so hot, but I mean, like he's done everything. If you aren't really a goofy movie fan, you might recognize him as Thackeray Binks from Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. He's done, like, so many. He's, like, really developed into this full-time voice actor guy. He's been working for 25 years. He's only, like, 30. Yeah. He was Nelson on Full House, which was one of DJ's boyfriends. Yeah. Which is, like, complete laugh-out-loud moment for me whenever I hear that. <laughs> uh, he was on Boy Meets World. He was on Jungle Cubs, if you remember that show. Mm-hmm. Um, Step by Step, Justice League. I mean, like, he's just busy, busy, busy. But yeah. his voice is very recognizable to me. So, yeah, I guess that's me watching too much goofy movie. <laughs> no, but it was so funny. Can you really watch too much, Morgan? <laughs> you can't. No, no really you can't. Good. I recognize that the moment I realized that he was the voice, that Max was the voice of the guy from Step by Step, it like changed my world. I was like, oh my gosh, face to name. What, what, what? It was almost... It almost changed my world as much as when I found out that Simba was Ferris Bueller, yeah. aka Matthew Broderick. Yeah. It was like, what? <laughs> Me too. The moment I heard, like, recognized that, I could, it went from, oh, it's Simba to, oh, it's Matthew Broderick. I could never not yeah. hear Matthew Broderick in his voice after that point. But it, so did you really feel the Amy Poehler coming on with Secret of Arietti? Mm, well, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I did. Same thing with Will Arnett, her husband, who also plays her husband in the movie. Hmm. Yes. There's, there's some voice actors that are just very distinct. Yeah. Um, for example, I heard in Ice Age 4, Jennifer Lopez plays like a lady saber-tooth character. And oh, yeah. apparently it's very distracting because her voice is just so Jennifer Lopez that it's just Jennifer Lopez. And it's not Jennifer Lopez playing a character. It's just yeah. like, oh, I just keep hearing Jennifer Lopez and I can't focus on the character she's supposed to be because her voice voice is so, I guess, recognizable. Yeah. Just interesting. That, that's one thing I really want to do is a nerdy couch discussion on voice actors. We're going get there. <laughs> Anyways, but I really liked Haku. I thought he was a, a breath of fresh air. He was sort of, uh, initially he seems kind of like a savior to her and like saving grace and that he's relatable, a human, I guess. Yeah. Um, mystical powers. Yeah. I mean, well, hey, it comes with the territory. <laughs> <laughs> it's anime. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, right. expect the unexpected. <laughs> But I, I didn't really like him. And then he definitely, like, morphs into this very strange personality and background that I didn't expect. Yeah, what do you think? I thought he was cool. Like, he definitely brought in the kung fu, mystical, Japanese stuff element into the film. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like there wasn't that, because Yubaba kind of had her, like, she could do her, like, you know, attack. Uh-huh. And um, uh-huh. and stuff, but just the whole like transforming into a dragon and magical powers and stuff like that's cool. I thought it was refreshing too. He's very mysterious, definitely. You watch him and you and you're like, what is this guy's deal? Like, what is he after? What does he want? You know, who is he really? I thought it was a cool reveal 
at the end of the film, you know, you find out his true identity. And, yeah. Uh, but, but he also has his own motives. Like, he wants, he's, uh, he's hanging out with Yubaba and he got mixed up with her so that he could steal, you know, her magical powers or, like, learn them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but he also stole from, uh, Zani- um, Zanimba. What's her name? Zaniba. Zaniba. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zaniba, you know, which incurred her wrath. So it's like, you kind of wonder, like, who is he really? Well, I thought it was just very odd that he turns out to be the river spirit of that certain river. and But she had fallen in love with him, and it was completely okay. Because, you know, they're like, oh, it was love that saved and broke the spell. And love that was a big role in this. And she was in love with him, and they're floating in the sky. And they're, they're so happy that they've discovered his true name. And they're just smiling at each other while they're floating down. Um, <laughs> and then just spiraling in circles. It's just like a strange moment to me. It's like, oh, you just realized that you're the guy you were in love with is a river spirit mm, who's not really... Out of her league. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Birdman. You cannot marry Aqua Girl. <laughs> you are from two different worlds. Simpsons quote from Comic Book Guy. Uh-oh. And then... Worst and then, character ever. No, and then right after that moment when he says that he... The bomb is like coming straight at him. And he looks at it, he's like, oh, I've wasted my life. (laughs) 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 Fantastic. Love it. So, yeah, I I really like Haku. He's one of my favorite characters in this film, but but I don't think he's my favorite. Really? I still haven't decided who's my favorite. I don't think he's my favorite, but he's definitely, like, obviously a necessary part of the story. Okay, let's talk about another complex character that I think... He's one of the more iconic characters of this film, and that is No-Face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I have a better understanding of him after seeing this film. This was the third time I'd seen the film, so I think Ooh. my understanding of him has deepened Never and in. fermented, foolishly, whatever. Kind of a creeper, right? I'll just go out and say it. He's a very strange, creepy guy. Very well, awesome. and, and the thing is with No-Face is that he's um, never really explained fully. I mean, we, we still don't really know who he is, other than they say he's a monster, but that's the people in the bathhouse interpretation of him. Um, right. He was eating people, and that's... Yes, he that, that was a sweet scene when he's chasing <laughs> through the bathhouse, and he's like this huge, galloping monster. <laughs> right, and he is really interesting, and... There are different interpretations, and that's why I like that Miyazaki kept it open-ended. I did find a couple of um, fan theories on the internet. Um, the first is that No-Face is a... He stands for the impressionable, introverted, adolescent male. And to summarize the theory, uh, basically the whole thing is about him, like, that nobody ever pays him attention, he doesn't have any friends, but then the moment when Chihiro shows him kindness and, and lets him in the bathhouse, he's, like, smitten, he's in love desperately wants Chihiro to return his affection, so he, so he just gives her what he, what she wants. She offers him gold and stuff. But she has no desire. She's, she resists, like, the whole showering her with gifts. So this theory is about him representing kind of this, like, adolescent male who, like, you know, is trying to win the affections of this girl he has a crush on. So And, and then the other theory is that his, No-Face's appearance and personality represent whoever he is around. And so it kind of just absorbs the energy of everyone around him, uh-huh. I guess. For example, in the bathhouse, you know, people in the bathhouse are, like, they're kind of greedy, they're kind of backstabbing, you know. They love the excess of the whole thing. And so No-Face becomes a gluttonous monster. But then when he has more contact with Chihiro, when she makes things right, eventually he 
turns back into, he shrinks back and coughs up all the people he ate and turns back into just normal no-face and he's docile and controllable again, you know. I'm not, I'm not really buying the second, the second interpretation. I'm more towards the first. Well, I had my ideas about no-face long, you know, a while ago. Uh, after watching the movie the third time, I'm leaning more towards the first interpretation with him just being this like smitten adolescent, you know, immature spirit? Little, right. little spirit who has a crush on Chihiro. <laughs> but he just doesn't get it right because he doesn't understand that Sen is pure and innocent, you know, so when he tries to shower her with gold, it doesn't work because, she, yeah. one, she has this pure love for Haku, and two, she's innocent. She, she's not really looking for that. But the people in the bathhouse love it, you know. They're yeah. lost. They've been exploited long enough to... Yeah, I've definitely been in Chihiro's shoes where... Um... You do one nice thing for a guy, and <laughs> suddenly it's like, and suddenly they're like, eh, they're in eh, love, they're in love yeah. with you, and they won't stop they talking to, no to you. And you're like, I was just trying to say hi because no one else would. And like, I just wanted to be nice to you, and you know, I get to know you a little better, not be your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's happened. <laughs> and then, and then they follow you and turn into a stalker and call you somehow, get your number, and then find you at church, and even though they don't go to your church and oh, yeah. yep, yep this has happened oh, oh my man God. you've had a no face i've had i've had a no face if only he offered me gold oh, no. oh gosh so you're definitely not chihiro <laughs> not anymore <laughs> oh this is this is definitely. I'm saying she's a gold digger. <laughs> yeah, No Face is really cool, and it's it's cute that at the end, you know, he finds a place. You know, Zaniba always knows how to help everyone. You know, mm-hmm. and she shows kindness and patience towards uh, No Face, gives him a place to work and to live and to be accepted, and so he accepts that. Yeah, and and I like that. I like how he wasn't the main antagonistic force in this movie. He mm-hmm. wasn't the villain. You know. Yeah. Another he's... another deviation from Western story, Western plot, and Western characters. You know. Any last words on you, Baba? Because she's kind of a big deal in this film yeah i mean she's i i loved her like i didn't i didn't think she was annoying or anything like i i couldn't get enough of her yeah. i just like these i just love these larger than life you know obnoxious characters and that's what she is she kind of reminded me of mr strickland from king of the hill <laughs> just like it's all about money it's all about the business uh-huh. you know and she's just like larger than life you know people who have their qualities but you would hope you've never knew someone exactly like them she's so nasty and she's only nice to Sen when, when Sen makes her money. I thought that she was going to have a turnaround moment when she runs up and hugs Sen after she helps the water spirit. But it's only because she's like, you did it, Sen. You made us so much money. And it's like, yeah. oh, so you're you're only hugging her because she's, you know, she's hustling for you, you know, <laughs> not because not because she learned a life lesson and showed kindness, you know? No, every, every motivation that she has is purely monetary based. Um, and she's, she's nasty till the end because her intention was to deceive Sen at the very, at the very end with the pigs. Yeah. You know, it's actually kind of sad because, like, you see, I don't know if you, like, know people like this, but it's it's an impression of people who they spend their whole life after money. And she clearly has a lot of money from this bathhouse. Oh, yeah. You know, she's a very successful business owner, but at the same time, she's still completely devoted to that business and everything about it. She just wants to make, ooh, money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Stop it, it. But just a way to to kind of like sit back and look at people and kind of be introspective among yourself. Is that who I want to become? Like, I don't know. It's just like people who devote their lives to riches and money. And then, you know, it makes you think about you and and Mm -hmm. what you really want to focus on and make your priority. Yeah, it's important. But I mean, she still had nothing and she was like one track minded. It was like her. And then obviously her baby is something that motivates her at the end. But she was like kind of a tragic character in that way. But she was totally happy the way she was. Yeah. Yeah. There's some people who are just like that, though. 
they find what they are good at. And obviously this is something that she is good at. She is good at making money. And yeah. That's where she finds her own self-worth, I think, is to be able to make that money and to help my baby. That's, mm-hmm. that's all I need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I think it was mature of Miyasaki to include her as a character that doesn't really want to change. It's true to real life. Like some people really don't change from their from their nasty ways, but but they're fine. They are who they are. So and the world has to deal with them. So yeah. I think with the Casey Yobaba, she's a really great character in this film. Oh, so her sister's name? What was her sister's name again? Zaniba. Zaniba. She was kind of the foil character. Obviously, at first I thought she was going to be even more evil than uh, Yubaba. You know, because she's, I don't know, we only see one, like, side of the story. And then we go and we realize who she is. And, you know, she turns the baby to a rat. And then you're like, oh, okay. She is tough. Like, so you wonder, <laughs> ooh, is she nasty like you, Baba? Mm-hmm. And then you go and visit her house and you realize she's really pure and and has good intentions for the most part and uh, lovable. You know, obviously, if I were to pick a favorite of the two, I don't think it'd be a question. Yeah, <laughs> okay, so let's just talk about kind of like how everything sums up the ending. So it turns out that Haku is the river spirit. Um, and then he remembers his name through an experience that they had met before and they float and then uh, obviously Chihiro has her last test and she agrees to it because she's, she has integrity she says oh well you know we agree to this I will do it and then she sees through it and realizes that none of the pigs are her parents you know wait question how did she know that I don't know how I did mean she do that? that was pretty abrupt it was, I was like ooh this is gonna be the big test of the film and yeah. she's like uh, none of them are <laughs> yeah I don't know if it's it's it was just to show that she had, I don't know, grown affectionate for others. I don't know. Like, it never really explains how she knows. Because there is that point where she first goes in and they're like, don't forget which one your parents are. And then she comes back. She's like, Mom, Dad, which one are you? Yeah. And so, I mean, you begin to learn, like, oh, freak, she's not going to do too well on this. But <laughs> I, I don't it, know. I guess, I guess it was just to kind of prove, the, make the point that the film isn't about finding her parents in the end. It's about who she found out she could become, you know. Yeah, it's finding herself. Yeah, one of the themes that I saw in this film, and I'm pretty sure no one has would have seen this really, except just because like this is kind of a a topic that I've been pondering and thinking about recently is generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's that one spider like guy, Kamanji. Yeah, and he he's been saving these these train tickets for 40 years and and just gives them to her. And I and you know you look at Lynn and she's been just dying to get out of here just to get train tickets. So obviously these are very rare commodity. Yeah. Yet the, he's so willing to give them to her to help Haku. I don't know. I just because just because I have someone in my life who's really generous, and they're always literally giving you the shirt off their back. There's I was talking to her one time. She had this jean shirt on, you know, because those are kind of like in the style. And I was like, oh, I've just been looking for one of those shirts forever. And she like literally started unbuttoning her shirt. She's like, do you want it? And like she's always just wants to give you things like here, take it, do this. And it just makes me think about myself and how sometimes stingy I am about yeah. things and just how generous certain people are. And so I was kind of picking up on that motif of generosity and giving of others because uh, Chihiro becomes that way. I mean, she is very willing to give the medicine of the river spirit you know, which was supposed to be saved for her parents. She gives it to Haku, and then she gives it to, um, oh, the that stinky man. <laughs> the stink stinky spirit. Man. So, I don't know, that's something that I was, like, focusing on. I don't know if that's a main theme of the film, but, I mean, that's definitely a personality trait, that she becomes more generous and loving and kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other, like, symbolisms or themes that you saw in the movie? Yeah, it's just like the themes of like greed mm-hmm. and like exploitation and stuff with the whole workers. Like there was that. And then I also enjoyed the contrast between the love that Sen and Haku have for each other mm-hmm. and the and the infatuation that No Face has for Sen. Like oh. the total, like it's totally different. Like poor No Face, he goes about it <laughs> in, in totally the wrong way. 
you start to pity No Face definitely because he's just clueless, you know. <laughs> but I, I'm really glad that they gave him a happy ending. Yeah, he's gonna be okay. <laughs> One thing I noticed about this film is that it's very rich in symbolism. Um, especially for an animated film. I feel Western animated films, they're for kids or they're for families. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, we can't go too deep here. It's all going to be surface level stuff. Like we may have one main, main point that's a bit deeper, but it's going to be pretty transparent. You're going to be able to see it. It's going to be clearly stated. by Exactly. Character. And resolved. But yeah. this, you know, everything there was, I feel like I was in a college class or English class analyzing a novel and finding these deeper meanings of what was going on. And it was a complete breath of fresh air for me, this perspective of storytelling. I really like that in the movie there are, there are lots of periods of silence, mm-hmm. and um, it, it allows for reflection and internalization of these principles and of these themes, because, you know, I compare this, you know, to Madagascar 3, where there was really no theme. It was just boom, 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 boom. It was so fast-paced. There weren't those moments to sit back and, like, think, and how can this relate to me, or what is it really trying to teach me? And so, I mean, that's definitely a shift from American storytelling or just animated storytelling for the most part is that this gives you those times to reflect and to think. It felt very enriched leaving yeah. this movie. Yeah, I totally. a lot with like Miyazaki films is it has a different pacing throughout the yes. entire thing. I'm thinking, is it also more of a cultural thing? It has to be, right? Yeah. Because it's, for us, we're so used to just like, you know, the microwave generation, just give it to me, right, 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 right. I'm like, we're actually becoming, I think, more of a culture of just feed it to me, and I don't really want to think for myself. Uh-huh. I think the mark of a quality film is when it promotes active participation from the viewer, and this is definitely one of those films, and so I, I really like it for that. Yeah, I mean, even with the ending, I feel that there were, like, a lot of things were summed up, but there were still some loose ends that leave you thinking, you know, oh, what was that about, or like, let me, let me, maybe I missed something and maybe I'm supposed to figure this out on my own mm-hmm. after the fact. You know, for example, no face. I mean, he still wasn't completely resolved. So it lets you think and like, who really was he? What was his purpose? You know? Yeah. So that's a, the mark of a great, a great film is one that lets you think about the movie on a deeper level after the fact rather than, oh, it's over. That's great. It was wonderful. Let's move on. Well, I, well actually, uh, you bring up a, a pretty good point, Morgan. The, the last lines of the film where your parents are like, it's a new place, it's going to be a new adventure, and Chihiro and Chihiro's like, oh, I think I can handle it. Uh-huh. It establishes that she remembers her experience in this spirit world, and that she's ready to take on the challenges of her new life. Those were actually added for the English dubbing of the film. And so in the Japanese version, the original version of this film, they don't say that. Oh. And so it's even more open-ended, and it's even more open to your interpretation, because you don't know if they remember their experience. Oh. The parents certainly don't, because they're otherwise they would have said, like, hey, honey, wasn't that weird when we were Turn into pigs, <laughs> you know. But in yeah. the Japanese version, they don't establish that Chihiro remembers her. Yeah, her experience. Huh. So today we were on our Twitter, and we asked our Twitter question of today was, "What would you rate the film of Spirited Away, and why?" We had a few people respond back. We had Pablo, and he said, "I would give it five stars. It's flawless. So different from the Western movies, yet so entertaining and fun." Mm-hmm. And we also have Crystal, who says five out of five. It is a unique film that brings an innovative story and magical quirkiness, beautiful animation and characters that you get attached to, as no one is really evil, but each has their own struggles. It easily stands out and is always watchable. Perfect. Okay, so let's give our last thoughts and what we would rate it. That's what our 
listeners rated it. So obviously five stars and five stars. Very likable, this film. First and foremost, this has a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And it also was ranked number 10 in Empire Magazine's The 100 Best Films of World Cinema in 2010. Mm -hmm. So not just animation, but it it was ranked number 10 overall of all movies ever made for for this this category. Hello. So I'll go first. I love this movie. I feel the animation is absolutely breathtaking and the story is really, yeah, a breath of fresh air. It's different. It's unique. It kind of envelops you in this world and it's quirky and it's very Japanese in a way. The fact that Haku can turn into a dragon, it's accepted in these worlds and I I really like appreciate that because everything has a purpose, but it's in a very Japanese way that's very fun and different from what we have been seeing. But this movie is is fabulous and I feel like upon thinking about it, reflecting, this was the first time I had seen the movie, but I have to give it five out of five stars. There's it's so good. <laughs> yeah. My turn. Your turn. Oh, Spirited Away. The word I would use to describe this film is just beautiful. The visuals are beautiful. The story is beautiful. And I really like the characters. This film really brings out the best elements of Japanese animation. As such, it makes it more accessible to a wider audience, like you said, Morgan. And so this film is just like great. Unless you like hate Japanese animation and you're like prejudiced against it. <laughs> like there's no reason why you shouldn't see this movie. It's refreshing. You know, it's, it's creative, but it's really good. And I, I was kind of wondering if to give it four stars or five stars. I think I'm going to give it five stars just because it's like a really friendly, you know, anime movie for Western audiences, but it still has the best, the best elements that you can think of or that you could expect from Japanese animation. And so this is really one of those really, really good films and everybody should watch it. Five stars. And Chelsea. I think that if I had, if I could put it in just a couple words, I would say thought provoking. You know, it's very thought-provoking, and you you do just kind of get you find yourself enveloped in in the story and in the feeling as you go along, and that is mark of, of great storytelling. I would say, I think just on the fact that I wouldn't be able to watch this like on a day in day out basis, <laughs> that I wouldn't give it a five star. Uh, but I'm going to give it 4.5. 4.5. Very good. Very cool. Well, we can have a complete consensus. Right. <laughs> Okay, guys, we have a big, big mailbag. I I heaped it in from the other room. It hurt my back in the process. Cool. We have three. Actually, we have four, but I'm going to save that one. Um, that relates to a future nerdy couch discussion that we could do. So, yes. Ooh. So stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs> so let's each take one of these in stride. Um, we have three mailbags, and so we're going to read them and talk about them. Our first one is from Matt, and he says, Hi, Rotoscopers. I'm a computer graphics engineer and have worked in the feature animation industry. Ooh, movies. <laughs> Just wanted to say that I'm a fan of the podcast. I really enjoy your intelligent and entertaining discussions. Keep up the great work, Matt. Thanks, Matt. That was really nice. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I love when um, I open the Rotoscopers Gmail and I just get, you know, just these little encouraging notes from people. I mean, even though yeah. they're, they're short or they're long, it's just like, oh, thank you. I oh, so. nice notes. It, it kind of is very encouraging to me that, that, you know, we can actually relate to others who've been in the industry and Good. understand what we're talking about. So thank you, Matt. Next yeah. one. This one's from Pablo. He says, hey, guys, I just learned about this podcast through Hypable. I got really excited because animation is something that I love a lot. I just talk about it all the time. I grew up with Pixar, Disney, Anastasia, The Iron Giant, and then in 2010, everything changed for me. 
Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> wow, Pablo, you're like making this really cool and entertaining. He says, he continues, I was about to graduate high school, and that year was amazing in animation. Despicable Me, How to Train a Dragon, Tangled, and my favorite movie of all time, Toy Story 3. You have excellent taste, my friend, by the way. <laughs> that year just made me realize that I wanted to work in animation. Since I suck at drawing, but I'm good at writing, I decided to study screenwriting. So now I'm a screenwriting student that talks about animation all the time. I'm going to a Pixar master class in Vancouver in September, and I'm so excited. Wow, lucky. He says, why am I telling you this? Because no one else gets how excited I am. Anyway, I will be an avid fan of the podcast, and in fact, if you ever need another animation fan of the podcast that is also a film student, I'll happily apply. Thanks, Pablo. Awesome, Pablo. Well, that's great. Like, uh, screen, I mean, the student screenwriting, like, that's, you got to be really creative and, like, and especially with how, how film is going these days, you have to have, like, a lot of new ideas. So that's really cool. And I'm super excited for you to go to um, the master class for Pixar and uh, definitely write us another email telling us how that went. Yeah, for sure. That's a very incredible opportunity to go to that. And I'm sure you'll learn a lot. So let us know how it goes. Okay, so our last email comes from Madge. It says, hey, Rotoscopers, I just got into your podcast a few days ago. I saw a post on Hypable and couldn't resist. I'm a huge fan of animated movies. And since discovering you, I've listened to almost every episode. I love how quickly you guys are able to make references and quote the movies you're talking about every week. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> and it makes me jealous that none of my friends are as into animation as I am or you are. Trust me, Madge, I understand yeah. this. When I, I was in college, I was like, I, I can't quote because no one gets it. <laughs> so luckily with the podcast, I can and people yeah. get it. <laughs> The conversations are always very well conducted and cover basically everything. My only issue out of all the episodes is that Pixar's lucky charm is John Ratzenberger, not Jeff. Otherwise, everything is perfect. Thanks for reading, and I can't wait for what movies you'll be covering next. Match. Dope. First of all, thank you, Matt, for being such a fan. We really yeah, appreciate really. you. Yes, me too. So, I mean, like, I guess... Uh, Jeff, Morgan, what do you have to say for yourself? Well, okay. I, I mean, I don't know if I explained this. I was referring to Pixar's Lucky Charm, who is John Ratzenberger, and I called him Jeff. And it's because I mixed him up with Jeffrey Katzenberg who's the CEO of DreamWorks and also used to be the CEO of Disney Animation. I mean, so they're all in the same realm. They're both head honchos, kind of. Well, he's a, a voice actor, John. Yeah. Is, but, I mean, you got Katzenberg, Ratzenberger. I mean, they got these Zin, Zimberg, Zimberg, Zimberg. Right, so, well, I mean, they both start with J's. It's just, I was caught up in the heat of the podcasting moment. It's okay. It's okay. Seriously, like, all. I might, I might go back and re-record me saying those things just for future reference. Just get, like a redubbed Morgan yeah. voice. Say it really, like, firmly. And I love that one voice actor, John Ratzenberger. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Madge. I'm really happy that you were able to find us through Hypable. You know, all those fans who found us through Hypable.com, we're so happy to have you. Hypable's proved to be an incredible resource for us. It's a perfect fit for us. We've had a lot of great feedback from the new fans and the people who found us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> okay, Eddie guys, any last thoughts before we close this up? Well, I'm just really excited that we're that we've gotten as much exposure as we have thanks to Hypable and um, really looking forward to making more episodes for our new fans. Yes. Go back and see our and listen to our other episodes because they're really good. You really should listen to our other ones because they are really good. And they, just like this Miyazaki episode, they introduce you to new forms of new, animation. Yeah, new little sections of the animated world. Yeah, 
Yeah. So new new boundaries. That's just what I my one recommendation. Well, I like that that we're not just a Disney animation podcast. You know, it's not like we're like, what about that shadowy place? That's beyond Disney. You must never go there. That's great. Okay, so again, thank you guys for listening. You can find us at therotoscopers.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and, of course, Hypable.com. So go check us out at all those places. And if you want to find us at our individual locations, you can find me, Morgan Stradling, on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at Morgan Stradling. You can find Chelsea Robson on both Twitter and Facebook at Facebook.com backslash This Is Chelsea Robson. And also on Twitter, Chelsea Robson. And last but not least, you can find our wonderful Mason Smith on his blog, thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. Well, until next time, guys, we We are are the Rotoscopers! DreamWorks landed a deal with the new Meadowlands Amusement Park. Okay, DreamWorks landed a deal with the new Meadowlands Metal, okay. Dreamer- it's not Medellin's. Like, I know, I keep saying it, retarded. <laughs> Medellin kids. <laughs> they always go into abandoned music parts. They do. Oh, it's like that Simpsons it's where it's like, Homer's like, where could he be? Oh, they could it be the abandoned roller coaster, the spooky roller disco, or the lake where the sexy teens were killed a hundred years ago tonight. <laughs> <laughs> This. Like a bomb. So like a firecracker happened. Did Mason die? For real? Where did he go? I don't know. Hold on. Well, Mason needs to hurry because we. Okay, are y'all still there? Yes. Hello? Oh, yeah. My dad threw a firecracker in my room. Okay, for real. That's what I was like. Was that a firecracker? My dad threw a bottle that had a firecracker in it. Oh, it was inside a bottle. How naughty. And they filmed it. Oh my gosh. You guys, you're a bunch of hooligans. Oh my god, now the smoke detector's gonna go off. (laughs) My dad thinks he's so dang clever. (laughs) Okay, anyway, crisis averted. Okay, well. What are we talking about? I'm surrounded by gold and riches and jewels. But, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it! Oh, Dale's ball! (laughs) Oh, yeah, around! Are you calling him? Ain't got no shirt on my back! (laughs) 